and welcome to Beauty from the Heart. I'm your host, Rose Gallagher, and in this series, I'm speaking to some of my favourite people who are igniting positive change through their everyday actions. Today's guest is novelist, screenwriter, journalist and columnist Juno Dawson. Since I met Juno, I've just learned so much about the trans community and I continue to learn about her own trans journey and those of other people. And so today, joining me from each of our respective lockdowns, here's Juno. Hello. Juno, thank you for joining me. Um, You are so welcome. There's so many things I wanted to touch on with you today, but I just want to start to kind of introduce you to anyone that might not know. You're a best-selling author, and in particular, you write a lot of young adult fiction. Uh Um, And I always think it must be a really fascinating age bracket to be speaking to because I mean of all the times of your life that I think are particularly challenging teenagers really go through it don't they yeah and that's that's I think why I'm I'm really sort of fascinated with young adult stories I mean I've been writing young adult fiction for nearly a decade now and nobody is any the wiser about how to actually define young adult fiction I, I don't think it's just based on the readership because when my novel Clean came out two or three years ago, um, I realized actually that my books were largely being read by women in their 20s. So that is women in their 20s who are really interested in the stories of teenage girls. And, you know, that's true of The Hunger Games and it's true of Twilight. And I think there's just something very singular about that time in our lives. It's such a transitional period. Um, And I think you know, the person you are at 13 is not the person you are at 19. And I I don't think it matters who you are or where you come from. I think during that period, you undergo an amazing transformation. And that's why the stories endure, I think. And I agree that you're still so fascinated by them, even when you're a bit older. I mean, there's some amazing, I'm going to say women, because I think YA is one of few sort of literary corners which is dominated by women and I think that's a really good thing um you know we we don't really like things although again we're about to talk about makeup so our society doesn't like things which have been coded for girls and teen fiction by and large is coded towards girls and so it's kind of you know we're often accused of writing fluff or writing kind of not particularly challenging books but I think when you look at authors like Louise O'Neill, Holly Bourne, Non Pratt, um, you know, Francis Harding, you know, we're writing some really, really sort of dark and challenging and thought provoking stuff. You know, like my last three books have tackled heroin addiction, the fashion industry. My new one is kind of about rave culture, I guess. So, you know, we're, we're not afraid to tackle the big, the big questions. And I think that's why our books remain very popular as well. And I completely agree that there's always this kind of preconception that you can't mutually enjoy makeup, girly things, fluffy things, and at the same time tackle those difficult conversations. And I feel like that is a stigma that even though it's evolving slowly, is still very much there. I mean, I know we've already said that we will at some point get to the Spice Girls. (laughs) as a matter of urgency that, but that was how I grew up you know I saw these five girls and their whole thing was yeah I can wear a mini skirt yes I can dye my hair bright pink but also I'm powerful and I have a voice and I'm you know they were never scared to talk about the big issues or put themselves on a global platform and and that's just how I grew up just sort of seeing 
that you you could do both. You you could now what was interesting, the Spice Girls never used the word feminism, but you know, you could be about girl power and celebrate things which had been kind of like deemed for girls. I thought right from day one, you know, that I could, you know, be smart but also still be a girl, you know, in the, in the way that Dana Scully, who was another one of my teenage icons, you know, Gillian Anderson was so beautiful as Dana Scully, but she was also the smartest person in the room always, you know, she was cleverer than Mulder and she was cleverer than everyone. And so I never really, I never really perceived it as needing to be a choice, but then potentially that's something to do with growing up trans as well. Who can say? I just this week started watching The X-Files and I've never seen it before. (gasps) If we had had this conversation a week ago, I wouldn't have even got that reference. And now I completely understand. But I do think things like that have such an impact like the Spice Girls. I really believe that a whole generation of young people are so much more fiery and have this extra kind of belief in their dreams because we were all told whatever you want to achieve, you can absolutely do. And what was really important is they were really normal girls yeah. in that they were kind of all kind of working class or came from working class backgrounds. Um, by and large, they hadn't been to Sturge School. Um or if they had, you know, we're not talking the prestigious big ones, kind of. And and it, so it just all felt very homemade. The quote that really, that I really felt was Adele when she explained to James Corden that, you know, there were these five girls who got out, you know, and, and yeah. Adele, she wasn't sure what she wanted to get out of, but she knew she wanted to get out. Yeah. And, and you know, they made something of themselves. And I think we knew as their fans that they were not the best singers and they were not the best dancers, but none of that mattered because actually it was about charisma and having the gift of the gab and, and just sheer hard work. And, and that's something, you know, I guess that I would apply to myself. I don't know if I am the best author in the country, but you know, I've, I've worked so, so hard. And I think my book's you know, they have something to say in in a way that the Spice Girls had something to say. And, you know, when you're thinking about kind of the impact the Spice Girls had and you're very much in conversation with young people and young Mm. women reading your books, is there anything going through your head when you're writing that you think, I want to say this particular thing to them that no one said to me? Or does it just depend on what each individual story is doing? Always, yeah, I feel sort of like a big responsibility to try, and I know it's it's quite a lofty word, but sort of empower. You know, we all, I think as, as authors, you know, we, we don't write in a vacuum. We are inspired by the world around us. And it's like, look out the window, you know, the world is on fire. <laughs> you know, between yeah. literal fire, the yeah. world is burning with global warming. You know, you've got Black Lives Matter, Trans Lives Matter. You've got coronavirus and corrupt governments and Brexit and, you know, social media just kind of creating this incredibly divisive culture yeah. constantly. That all feeds into my writing you know, I'm, I, I feel very aware of the messages that I'm putting in my books, but also I, I, I've always tried to be optimistic and hopeful when, when I speak to young people, I feel really hopeful for the future. Yeah. Um, I think young people are able to recognize how we got into this mess. 
you know, just look at Greta Thunberg and you can, you know, see her as someone who is such a role model for now, kind of someone who isn't afraid to say to people three times older than she is, you have ruined the world and you've left it for my generation to fix it. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's, the Greta Thunberg generation that I'm speaking to. And they're very, um, they're very aware and they're very aware that they have the power to make change. And I think that's really fascinating when I speak to younger people, like even from the perspective of, um, beauty and the world I kind of know lots of brands are saying to me that their younger customers are challenging them on being more sustainable being cruelty free Mm -hmm. there are all of these kind of ethical considerations now that I think that younger generation are just bred to expect which is brilliant yeah and I I don't think it's ageism I I think you know because I think you can look at somebody similarly like Gloria Steinem who is an amazing feminist writer and role model you know she is so switched on you know Jane Fonda you know who has been campaigning for LGBT rights since the 80s you know so this is not about age but I think a lot of people in their 50s and 60s are terrified of young people because we're not going to be polite for the sake of politeness anymore and and you, you see a lot of that policing around language like don't call me a Karen don't call me a gammon and it's kind of like well, never mind what we're calling you. You know, we need to make change really quickly because otherwise we're going to go past the tipping point with global warming. You know, we're talking about black people being killed by police and you're worried about what we're calling you. Yeah. It's kind of, let's let's shift perspective immediately. I saw that thing um, that you put on Twitter the other day. The the TED channel had said that they were using the word women with the spelling of the X in place of the E. One of the things I've seen you say in a few places, actually, is why don't we speak to trans people about this rather than speculate yeah. what they're thinking? And your reaction was hilarious. You just said, like, bloody hell, I think we've got enough things to worry about than the spelling of this word. But by all means, watch out for the headlines tomorrow that completely run on a different tangent yeah and I mean it happens all the time so you know trans women did not suggest use of the word women with an x um you know in the 70s women was sometimes spelt with a y by radical feminists to get rid of the word man from woman so you know this this was not something that was ever attributed to trans people and yet it's these kind of like straw man arguments that do keep coming back to haunt us so it's kind of like okay so TEDx London have made the decision to use the spelling of women with an x and then somehow it's like trans people are erasing women well how did we get there yeah And, and of course the answer is that at the moment we do have an incredibly hostile environment towards trans people in the press it's it's ugly I really think of you as someone that when I see your posts come up on my feed or anything that I just happen to catch that you've said, you're very much keeping me informed of what the current debates are, um, the challenges faced by the trans community. But in particular on the likes of Twitter over the past few months, I feel like that whole community is just under so much attack and I I just can't even imagine what it must be like to be at the receiving end of that. I mean, it has gone to the stage now where I'm just terrified to log on to Twitter. You just don't know what hideous twist awaits. And, And it's deeply 
unsettling. I think part of that comes down to social media. I think yeah. as the journalist Carol Caruala said at her TED talk, um, you know, these, these technologies were designed to bring us closer together. Um, and that may well have been their intention, but all they've done is, is create real division. You know, these technologies, these platforms have been hacked and weaponized by, by authorities around the world, you know, they've become, they've become political weapons, you know, to be used in, in a much bigger sort of political war. I think the days of, you know, Facebook being a, a lovely place to tag oh, your no. grandma, you know, this is not, that's not what it is now. Um, no. And I think it's up to each individual to do a bit of self-care on their life and decide what your relationship with Instagram and Facebook and Twitter in particular is, is going to be. And what does that look like for you? Where are your boundaries with those kinds of platforms? Well, I've, I've taken Facebook and Twitter off my phone because I realised yeah. there was something very damaging for my mental health about having that kind of abuse in my bedroom. Um, I, I yeah. always feel a bedroom should be a safe space, um, like a sanctuary where you just go to sleep and relax. So I, I don't really yeah. do work in my bedroom, for example, and we don't have a TV in the bedroom. And I realised, you know, I was sat in bed just reading messages about how ugly I am and, you know, my voice sounds weird and, you know, I'm a threat to women and I'm a predator. And I was like, why would I want to be reading this in bed? You know, this is not, this is not a nice thing to read (laughs) on a bedtime. So I've taken Twitter and Facebook off my phone. I find Instagram to be less hostile. Um, Mm. I think you have to be careful with Instagram in a different way, especially as a trans person. I have something called sort of body dysmorphia. So, you know, I have to be very mindful to not just follow supermodels because otherwise I start to think, well, you know, if she can look like that, then so can I. And of course, no, because I'm never going to be five foot 11 and a size six. But you're right in that certainly in the last six months, you know, I started my transition in 2013. So I guess it took me five years to draw a line in the sand and say, well, I'm not gonna bang my little gongs together saying trans women are women, trans men are men anymore. It felt like that was almost where transphobic people want to keep trans people almost on Twitter, just begging for acceptance. And so actually I've decided on a personal level, I had to move on. And I was like, Mm. well, what is it that I need? And what is it that trans people, especially in the United Kingdom? I mean, there isn't a trans community, Um, I think when you start talking about the black community or the trans community, we become quite a dehumanized, faceless entity. You know, what we're talking about is trans people, you know, and and by and large, um, you know, the majority of trans people really struggle to find um, steady employment because of just discrimination. And, you know, a lot of trans people don't feel comfortable in public facing roles. So, you, you know, we need support for trans people in the workplace we need easier access to healthcare. there's like a three-year wait list to get seen by a specialist now which is obviously insane I mean you know these are trans people who are likely to be suffering from other mental health issues you know going to their GP and being told that's great we'll get to you in three years you know and then finally we need a much much smarter system for trans people to be able to change their gender legally. Um, You know, at the moment, it's such a insane kind of bureaucratic system that doesn't really benefit anyone. You know, right at the beginning of my transition, I had to apply for my new passport because obviously I had to travel widely with my career. Um, 
so you know to get your new passport you just bob to your gp your gp signs a letter you send it to the passport office and they change your passport wicked you know and yet somehow in order to get a new birth certificate you have to pay them hundreds of pounds and you need a solicitor and you have to go through this panel who never actually meet you you know so it's just it's a mad system um so that's that's what I talk about now so yeah every time somebody bobs up and talks about you know freedom of speech or you know oh my gosh gender neutral changing rooms or you know gingerbread people at Pret-a-Manger I'm like no let's deal with the three-year wait list yeah because I've never met a single trans or non-binary person saying what we need is gender neutral gingerbread men you know that is not (laughs) you know this is and it's a scam you know and it's being used it's clickbait and it's garbage and I would say to people be really mindful of the shit you're reading online it's so true because they are the kinds of headlines that come up all the time and you know, who are these articles written by? Have you spoken to a trans person about this? Absolutely not most of the time. And it is just complete speculation that doesn't get anybody anywhere. No. And I mean, and you sort of, a lot of the time as well, like, like for for example, Brewdog are notorious for coming up with these kind of like clickbaity garbage campaigns. And you can just almost imagine these sort of publicists and marketeers kind of sat around in an office where they once came up with a transgender beer. Like, what? No, they didn't. That's not a thing. But it's that kind of thing. It's just garbage. Um and, and, and it's just things like that. Just be really mental. This is, you know, and then what happens is, you know, predictably your right wing press pick up on it and say, trans people are demanding their own trans beer. What? As if. Oh, for God's sake. As yeah. if, you know, the community in London, you know, were protesting because the government. Yeah. The government promised us reform of the Gender Recognition Act about three years ago and they've just dragged their heels ever since. And, you know, we're mourning the loss of an amazing young person from London called Eli Che, who was 21 years old, had just moved to New York and, and was found dead on a beach just outside of New York a couple of weeks ago. And this keeps happening and it particularly keeps happening to sort of trans women of colour. Um, you know, we're dealing with some incredibly vulnerable people, occasionally sex workers as well. And that's why I just have not got the breath in my body yeah. to talk about that kind of clickbait I'm not interested no and you know there are so many things I can imagine for example the book this book is gay Uh there are so many more worthwhile conversations that would inspire so much more joy and to your point I suppose all any of us with good intentions want to do is rebuild a peer or make someone feel the best possible way and you know for example, when you wrote that book, you must have spoken to so many people that read it that thought, oh my gosh, finally, this is the conversation I wish I was having. And that's what I'm trying to do now with my work. I realised sometimes it takes longer (laughs) and sometimes it's very tempting to fire off that tweet, you know, with your little kind of like 280 word soundbite yeah. but then I was like you know I have a book deal <laughs> I have multiple book <laughs> deals and I could you yeah. I can use my work to say everything it is I need to say so th- this book is gay is my best-selling book around the world and so we've done a follow-up called what's the tea which particularly looks at 
you know, it's advice and guidance for young trans and non-binary people. And, you know, that's everything I want to say. So I don't need to get into it on Twitter because I have a book out. And so to come back a little bit to the beginning of your journey now, mm-hmm. um, did you always know you wanted to be a writer? Like when you were little, what did you think you were going to do? Did you know? I was so unfocused. I mean, interestingly, the only thing I knew I wanted to be was a girl. And and I wonder if that kind of, maybe that's why, you know, my childhood aspirations were very all over the place. It's so funny that I didn't make the connection, although of course I didn't because I was like yeah. four, but, you know, I would look up to female role models and be like, oh, well, maybe I want to be an FBI agent like Dana Scully. Maybe I want to be a pop star like the Spice Girls. Maybe, you know, the other one was I wanted to be a news reporter like April O'Neil from Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Amazing. You know, I want to be a Borg like Seven of Nine, you know, kind of. So what was interesting is I when, when I was just obsessed with all these role models as a kid, it didn't really occur to me to think, the reason you're so drawn to these women is because you are also a woman. You know, I was just like, oh, maybe, maybe this is something, you know, I want to do professionally. And and the interesting one that I often came back to and somewhere in a parallel world, this definitely came true, um, was cabin crew. Well, I was like, oh, amazing. Fully obsessed with cabin crew. Like, like on a weekend, I would get my dad to drive us up to Leeds Bradford Airport just so I could like spy on cabin crew. Like I was so into like the cool uniforms and which airline had the best uniform and what did they do? And, and I was really transfixed by them. But of course, you know, I just wanted to be a girl. <laughs> do you know what though? That's, I would always think of that. One of my cousins is an air stewardess and I think that is one of the most glamorous types of women you will ever see like they're always groomed to within an inch of their life that's something I always notice when I'm on a plane I just think god you must be knackered and yet there is not a hair out of place on you oh my god the standards for the women are so draconian that seriously all all the female cabin crew who are listening to this just go on strike (laughs) because it's not fair you know nobody is saying to pilots or male cabin crew that your hair has to be a certain way oh my gosh I mean that as much as that's so exciting and I live a bit of makeup as much as the next person I just couldn't be bothered every single day and I think I enjoy it more when you've had those few days of not being bothered and then you throw it on and you feel really glam again yeah I mean I've barely worn makeup I think like everyone you know I've kind of retired makeup for lockdown it was like what is the point but um now strangely I've got real craving the other day I had the most wistful sadness for like getting getting dressed up in like a really stupid outfit like two or three times a year there will be like a professional event like an award ceremony or like a glitzy charity do and it's always really uncomfortable you've got to basically clear a whole afternoon to get ready absolutely but now because I haven't been anywhere to get dressed up in so long like we even had to postpone our wedding this year so I've I've not got dressed up in so long that I'm just dying for some sort of an event but I think it's going to be I mean ironically it might be our rescheduled wedding before I actually need to get dressed up I absolutely love talking about wedding makeup and beauty actually so I am going to have to divert us here I think the big thing with wedding makeup is do you go for something that feels really special and all the rest of it or do you which I often do for people just give them like an enhanced version of their everyday what kind of thing do you think you'll do the the vibe again i don't think this is massive spoilers but the vibe my dress 
and my hair and everything is a homage to so it's not a direct copy obviously and you'll see why in a second it's like an homage to jennifer connelly's gown in labyrinth if you've ever seen labyrinth that's one of my favorite favorite films Mm -hmm. and you could do a whole podcast on all of the hair and makeup in that largely david bowie's Yes, indeed. So yeah, yeah, so I should stress it's based on Sarah's dress, not David Bowie's. <laughs> and um, so yeah, so it's it's kind of like a nod to that. So it's not like a big '80s puffball dress, but um, and obviously bearing in mind that I think Jennifer Connelly was 16 when they filmed Labyrinth, so she she did have that kind of like ridiculous complexion that only a minor can have, kind of. So it's kind of it's like a nod to that. So it's quite. I think the makeup will be bold, but not draggy and I think other brides do this as well which is kind of taking it up a notch for the night do as well absolutely kind of of switching it once the lights go down oh how exciting fingers crossed I have every everything crossed over here that you end up having the party you were planning to have thank you (laughs) um so if I'm thinking about you know, generally beauty, Juno. I know that you're someone that loves um, expressing yourself through your makeup and it's mm-hmm. something that I know you really enjoy dipping a toe into. But as we kind of said at the beginning of the conversation, there, there's so much more happening, I think, in beauty than just the frivolous. I think it can have such a great impact on someone. Um yeah. Who are some of your favourite people or brands in the beauty industry that you think are doing good things? Oh, gosh, that's a big one. I mean, I'm a huge, huge fan of the makeup artist Terry Barber. Oh, me too. What I like about Terry's stuff is that it's not precious. I grew up in the 90s. I was a grunge girl. I love Nirvana and placebo and hole and garbage. So my first makeup role models it was not pretty makeup it was kind of almost aggressive makeup you know I was about Gwen Stefani you know for years not not so much kind of Princess Diana or anything like that and so when I I guess started my transition we were kind of moving into the whole I guess the era of the the megastar makeup tutorial and I sort of looked at this sort of very perfect kind of sort of Love Island and Kardashian makeup and it just did nothing for me yeah um and as well I think as a trans woman as as well you've got to be so careful not to go into drag queen um I think you know at the beginning of my transition I was using makeup you know to signal to the world that I wanted to be treated and received as a woman, I guess. Yeah. Um, but then you very quickly, or at least I very quickly realized that if you go full on kind of contouring and highlights and statement lips, you know, actually you can end up looking a bit RuPaul's Drag Race and, and similarly you end up drawing a lot of attention to yourself. And actually in the early years of my transition, that was the exact opposite of what I wanted to happen. I just wanted to get by, you know, without having my head kicked in. (laughs) And what was your happy medium for wanting to feel really womanly, but not pass over into something that was too overt? What were kind of the the statement things you used to do? Well, I mean, for me, it's about getting your skin right first. Yeah. And I think that's true of whether you are cisgender or transgender. It's about, you know, if, if your foundation 
and your concealer isn't right, the, the whole canvas is off, yeah. I think. Um, and so that was the bit that took me a little bit of time to get right. Um, I benefited again, from YouTube. I don't know how trans women in particular managed pre-YouTube because it was really important to me to be able to seek out other trans women and watch their makeup tutorials online and sort of understand how it is, you know, because, you know, I started having laser treatment to remove facial hair in like 2012. And that's, that's a trip because obviously you're dealing with kind of like spotty skin and then red skin and raised skin from where you've had the laser treatment, I guess probably had a lot in common with people who are dealing with acne or rosacea, you know, those kind of things, you know, those kind of step one, it's a step one problem. Like you can't get too invested in a perfect brow when you're just trying to even out the turn of your skin. Yeah. And so the first and most difficult lessons that, you know, I had to get my head around was how to correct, how to correct and conceal, which and that I've just inadvertently plugged a product there (laughs) because my friend Jessica Blacker started a cosmetics company called Jekka Cosmetics. And her first product was called the Correct and Conceal Palette, which was literally designed to correct and conceal. And so when that product came to market, all of a sudden my life got a lot easier because I wasn't fannying around with trying to correct the tone of my skin with at one point I was using like an orange blusher so thankfully we've moved on from that do you know something I remember you mentioned that in your podcast with Sally and I was actually on her website the other day and I thought her graphics were so great because she had these really simple before and afters but it just went to show how something as simple as that one palette had mm-hmm. such a transformation on everybody's skin it's a bit of a wonder product now and and I, I do I keep mentioning it all the time because I'm I'm all about makeup that is just fit for purpose, that does its job. I mean, I'm in awe of like Sally with all her amazing encyclopedic knowledge of products. Right from day one, I kind of just wanted a little bag with like 15 amazing things in. And kind of over the last, what, six, seven years, that's what I've developed. So I've got those 15 products that work for me and long may they be in production. Because <laughs> that's, that's when it all goes wrong. What are a few of them, do you know, that we could have a think about? So I'm a big, big fan of, and do you know what, I'm actually going to go through and get my makeup <gasps> Go on, I lovely, want, I want I'd to love get, it. I want, get, I want to get the right... There is nothing more exciting than going through someone's makeup bag. So these are the things that I would be a bit screwed without. So, so, th- so the, these are things that if you know if, if the house is on fire after I'd grabbed my fiance and my dog, these are the things I would grab. <laughs> um, so I use Max Studio Fix Foundation Classic. just because I've got my skin tone right. So why would I mess with that? Absolutely. Um, I'm a big, big fan of Glossier's. Um, lid star series which are like liquid shadows that you just dollop onto your eyelid and then smudge it with your finger I haven't used those I'm writing this down perfect and it just sits where you want it to sit and I like a big chunky I like a sort of a Claudia Winkleman smudgy black eye oh fantastic love a bit of Claudia Winkleman my favorite one at the moment it's a NYX just it's um it's called the NYX jumbo eye pencil in black it's like a big black crayon that you just smoosh around your eye 
um, then any old black mascara will do. At the moment, I've got a Charlotte Tilbury one, which is the full fat lashes. And then the other wonder product is um, Charlotte Tilbury's Cheek to Cheek, um, which I like in Pillar Talk. Oh, lovely. Um, and then, to be honest, I don't think I've worn lipstick for about three months as well. At the moment, I'm just using tinted Vaseline. I've got to say... Lip balm is my desert island product. There is nothing that drives me more at the wall than having dry lips. So I'm delighted to hear of the Vaseline in there. Yeah, I, I do. And you know what? I have a little pot of the rose-tinted um, Vaseline in every handbag. So whichever handbag I grab... You've got um, it to hand. Be, it's there. It's in there, yeah. <laughs> and in an emergency, you can put that on your cheek and on your eyelids as well. There we go. So, Juno, one of the things that I just think I would love to share with anyone listening I feel like there's so many powerful conversations happening at the moment and for me I just feel like I'm trying to read and learn as much as I can Um, but in particular you know there's so much of a conversation at the moment about being a great ally if someone is listening to this at the moment and they want to be the best possible ally and support for another trans person what are some of the simple steps that you wish more people took to just I suppose be a bit more mindful like a really really practical and easy thing that people can do is use their pronouns in emails and on their social media accounts because then it takes pressure off trans or non-binary people from having to explain because so if we all said she, my name's Juno, she, her, then then it means you know someone right at the beginning of their transition who might not look the way they identify it takes the pressure of them constantly having to say oh hello I'm you know I might not look like it but you know my name is Kelly and I use she her pronouns so um which it just takes a little bit it takes a little tedious job off of trans people which is good um I think and as well diversify your social media that is I think the best thing we can do because this shouldn't be a surprise but at the moment trans people in the United Kingdom are not getting a fair deal from the press. So, you know, your feed at the Daily Mail, at the Sun, at the Times, they're not giving you a fair and accurate story about us. Yeah. So listen, listen to me, listen to Monroe Bergdorf, listen to Sean Fay, who I think is wonderful. Listen to Paris Lees, who is very smart. Look at your Instagram. Who are you following? Does it contain a diverse mix of people with disabilities, with black women, Asian women, you know, diversify your social media because I think there aren't any gatekeepers now. And if you want to know more about trans lives, I can't think of anybody better to listen to than trans people ourselves. Definitely. And do you know, if someone wants to reach out to you after hearing us today, where can we find you and what can they expect when they do? So I'm everywhere on social media at Juno Dawson. My, you know, obviously we're gearing up for a new series of Bake Off. So I imagine there's going to be some really prime Bake Off content. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm working on new books. So there's, there's always going to be loads of stuff about my books as well. And, and hopefully soon some, some news about some TV series that I've been working on as well. Brilliant. Well, we'll look forward to that. And Juno, thank you so much for coming on as a guest. I've absolutely loved having you. Thank you. 
thank you so much for listening and a big thank you to my producer Ella for putting that together for me I hope you enjoyed you can reach out at Rose Gallagher on Instagram I'd love to hear your thoughts and I'll look forward to seeing you again next week take care